I like to make sure that we stay in context. And so I'm going to back up. Remember that the Apostle Paul has been using this, uh, this idea of Moses. Moses represents the law, right? And the law, the old covenant. And uh, Moses came down off the mountain, off of Mount Sinai. And he delivered the commandment to the people. And initially they were afraid of him because uh, by virtue of being in the presence of God, his face literally glowed. And that glory of God was intimidating to them. So, you know, he called them to him. He delivered the commandment or commandments to them. And then um, in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, and then he put a veil over his face. Well, the Apostle Paul uses that as a way of um, us understanding that the old covenant glory is fading because the Apostle Paul said he put the veil over his face because he didn't want the Israelites to see that the, the glow was fading away. The longer he was out of the presence of the Lord, the more that glow faded. And he didn't, he'd already had problems. Well, and in fact, he would have future problems with the Israelites doubting him. And so, you know, he would put the veil over his face. But then the Apostle Paul uses that as a way of helping people to understand that there is, uh, there's a veil of doubt and confusion that exists between people who do not believe in Jesus and the revelation that the Lord is trying to deliver to them. Um, there is a, there's a, a blockade, right, between them. Um, so let's go back up to verse, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. He says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So what he's trying to help us to understand is that the new covenant is different. There's no veil. Right. So whereas uh, the person who was um, the centerpiece of the old covenant was Moses, the person who delivers the new covenant to us is Jesus. And while there was a veil between Moses face and the people of Israel, there is no veil between you and Christ if you will choose to put your faith in Jesus. Verse 18, again, of chapter three. Um, three of Second Corinthians, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing, ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So the more we contemplate, right? So that's thinking, right? Contemplation. The more we, we consider Jesus, right? We bring him to mind. We acknowledge him. As we put our faith in him, we are increasingly transformed into his image. Really, it's like that with anything. So we're coming into the Halloween season, right? And 
children love to dress up, don't they? They love to dress up. That's that's why, although I really actually kind of hate Halloween, I'm not going to pour water on kids who are just wanting to have fun and get candy and dress up, right? They like to dress up. So we look at teenagers. Um, teenagers are seeking identity, right? And they begin looking away from their parents and toward their peers. And they see certain peers that they want to be like. They identify with those peers. And so they start acting like them. They start dressing like them, right? None of us are, are you know, pure personalities. We, we make multiple choices regarding our personality, okay? We, we take all of these, these ideas and images from different people, and we kind of bring those all together, right? Those accumulate, and it's kind of like Legos. Did you ever play Legos when you were younger, right? You know, you stack them on each other, and it's amazing what some people can build with Legos, right? They're just discrete little bricks, but you click them together, and you make something out of them. All of your choices are like that. As you determine your personality, you click, 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 and you've created something. Um, so yeah, that's that's exactly what we're doing. If we look to Jesus, um, we contemplate Christ, we consider His commandments for us. Then what, that's what we're doing. We're we're creating that image of Christ within us. Right, so let's move to chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. So this is, I think, um, a way of pointing at the false teachers that were coming into Corinth and saying that they were just there for money, right? Secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, and we looked at this a couple Sunday mornings ago on Sunday morning, even if our gospel is veiled, as the face of Moses was veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are passing away, those who are outside of the grace of God. Verse four, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it begins with unbelief. Satan doesn't cause unbelief. You hear the word and the word offers you the opportunity to believe. You either choose to believe or you don't believe. Okay. What typically happens is we, it's not that we choose not to believe, it's that we choose to believe something else, right? Satan is the father of lies. And so he's got a lot of very believable lies out there. And we identify with those. We believe those. And by doing that, we disbelieve in the gospel. And that results in Satan's ability to blind our minds to the necessity, the importance, the significance of Christ being our leader and our Lord, right? And us seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ, as it says here, uh, who is the image of God, right? 
He is the image of the invisible God. That's what the scripture says. Verse five, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So that's a, a, a real important way, a, a distinction between authentic preachers of the gospel and those that are just using Jesus to make money. Who are they preaching about? Who are they talking about? Are they talking about Jesus? Or are they talking about themselves? Right? Or are they talking about you? See, we love to hear about ourselves. We love it. We're gratified by it. You know, we, we take selfies all the time, all these sorts of things. But the reality is, if we would look away from ourselves and look to the face of Christ, we would find who we really and truly are. Okay? Um, verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. There's, you know, Genesis 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, what is it, verse 2, that says, God said, let there be light and there was light. That's this, let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts. So this is the light of revelation. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So again and again, I'm trying to help us to understand we can't know anything about God as um, someone we can relate to, we can understand except through Christ. Christ makes God a reality, a relational reality. Other than that, I just, I, I mean, I know I said this a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, consider the God who made, you know, billions of galaxies and trillions of stars who, as the scripture says in, in Timothy, exists in unapproachable light. How can we know that God? And we're so unlike him, it's... We can't even conceive who he is, but he has chosen to be known. I remember years ago, um, the church that I was serving at did mission trips uh, in uh, near Santa Fe, New Mexico. Okay. And uh, there are a number of Native American tribes that, um, that live north of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I was on one of those Native American tribal, uh, tribal lands and we were doing vacation Bible school for children. And here's like this, this ant pile, right? You see those and you want to like spray it in your yard, right? And so this is like one of these little outdoor pavilions and here's this, this you know, ant pile right there. And I gathered all the children around and I, and I had them look at these ants and here are these ants just crawling all over the place. I said, well, what if, you, what if you loved those ants, right? And they're going crazy and they're eating each other and killing themselves. And what are, How do you communicate with those ants? I am so far above an ant. I mean, I can put my foot down and, and crush, you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of them, right? But what if I love those ants? What if I go down and become an ant? And that's what God did when he became one of us in Jesus. And that's how we come to know God. Because other than that, uh, you know, I'm as, well, probably not even, not even that far. I, I'm, but by way of comparison, I'm as far away from an ant as God is from me. Does that make sense? 
right? This is this very, very limited, simple little creature. And, and God is so far above us and so far beyond us. And yet he showed himself in the face of Christ. So if we're going to understand God, we need to look at this first century Galilean peasant named Yeshua, Jesus, right? Who is from Nazareth. And we need to look at how he conducted his life and what he taught and what he did and what he said. And that's how we come to know Jesus, right? Okay. So now we come to this week's uh, passage. Verse seven. But we have this treasure, right? This glory of Christ in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. All right. So he shows that. um, So in certain segments of Christianity, there is a there's the promotion of what we could call triumphalism, right? That we never have to endure pain, that we are always granted prosperity from God, that you know we go from victory to victory, um, that there's never any need to suffer. And you know there's there's a lot of that, and people want to hear that because nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to go through difficulty. Nobody wants to go through trials. But the reality is, even those people are going through difficulty. They just don't want to admit it because they've tried to tell their followers that, you know, if you really believe in Jesus, you're not going to suffer and you're going to prosper at all times and all these sorts of things. But the reality is, as the Apostle Paul says, uh, resulting from the suffering that he went through uh, as as a result of preaching the gospel, he said, we must go through many trials or, or, you know, much suffering before we inherit the kingdom of God. So all of us, um, you know, over the last three years, whether it's, you know, it's mental or it's physical, emotional, and so forth, we've gone through a lot of suffering and a lot of trial and a lot of difficulty, haven't we? You know, um, I mean, it's only been a couple of years ago, but you do remember a point in time when we were all told to stay inside our houses or we're going to die, essentially. Okay. Um, when half the country was on fire because of protests, um, you know, there continues to be fighting, wrangling, um, argumentation, and so forth. 
uh, over political issues. And so it's easy to get in that, that frame of mind where we just, we can have no peace because it's just constantly being stirred up. We need to realize when we're being manipulated, by the way, um, because the, the more we get stirred up, the more concerned we become, the more we, we lock in to the media because we need to know what's going on, right? We need them to tell us what we need to do and so forth. But the reality is if you just turn that off, right? Whether it's your TV or, you know, you just, I don't even have Facebook on my phone anymore. I, I look at Facebook usually in the morning and I'm still on Facebook because we have so many people in our church that are on Facebook and I want to, you know, be able to continue to communicate with them. But I just discovered if I have it on my phone, I'm constantly this, 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 this. Now I can check it on my phone by going through a browser, right? Like Firefox, but it's, it's not a robust experience. So it just, it doesn't encourage you to stay on it. So if I just want to check to see what's happened, I can do that. But it keeps me off. Now, I do have Twitter on my phone again, which is how I check news. And if you want to know, you know, if you follow all these news sites, that's how you can get really, really stirred up all the time because they need you to keep paying attention to them. But the reality is if you just turned all that off, just pay attention to your kids and your chickens and all of that. You know what? Life's really not that bad. Look at the weather. Look at what's going on. You know what? I just need to stop paying attention to all that drama. It's just artificial drama, right? Now, I know all that's going on out there, but honestly, all that's always been going on out there. That's not new. It's always been going on. The difference is we know about it all, all the time now. Whereas previously, I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't have these phones, you, you had a phone in your house, but you, you know, somebody called you and you picked it up off the wall and answered the phone. You didn't know who it was. We didn't even have voicemail. You didn't want to talk to him. You just didn't answer the phone. The phone rang eight times and then, you know, it stopped ringing. It's like, you know, nobody's answering, so stop. Now, like anybody can reach you anywhere, anytime and create more and more drama in your life. Man, we need to get away from all of that. We really, really do. We need to have peace that comes from the Lord, realizing that there is trial, there is struggle, there is difficulty in this life. We're gonna go through things, but focus on what you actually have to go through. Not all of this other drama that is being brought into your life, okay? Yes, you're going to have health challenges. Yes, you're going to have relational challenges. Perhaps you will have financial challenges, all of these sorts of things. But just focus on that and trust the Lord for, you know, the provision and the healing and all of those sorts of things for that, okay? Um, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's why we have these frail jars of clay. Okay, our bodies are wonderful. They're really amazing. They really, really are. Um, <laughs> but I am reminded, and, and forgive me if, if I appear to be crass here, but every time you have to go to the restroom, you are reminded that you are a jar of clay, right? It's like, you know, 
we can be out here and everything is all wonderful and it's, you know, all about, but then you, you go into the restroom and you deal with all of that and you're like, did I just do that? Did that just come out of me? This is nasty. This smells horrible. I need to get out of here. I, uh, how horrible. We're jars of clay. We're physical beings that ultimately are passing away, Right. But there is this spiritual within us. And that's why we need to continually turn to the Lord because eventually we're going to have these resurrected bodies. And I I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work, but I just don't feature the resurrected body going to the potty. I just don't. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't. I think that we're going to be, I think we're going to be above that at that point in time. I know I've offended you now and you're going to go somewhere else, but all right. But then he goes through all of these things um, and he says, we, but these are, these are, and we're going to, as we get later in second Corinthians, we're going to see some of the, the serious difficulties that the apostle Paul faced where he was, he was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and all of these horrific things that none of us have gone through. Okay. But, I want you to to hear this because I know some of us are going through some physical challenges, right? Some of us are going through some emotional challenges, some psychological challenges. Listen to what he says. We are hard pressed on every side. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're hard pressed on every side. If you're just getting along in your life and trying to raise your kids and, and have enough money to do what you do, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed. I like that word perplexed. That means what? What in the world is going on right now? Have you ever been there? What is happening to me right now? You may not have the answers. Perplexed, but not in despair. You don't lack hope. You don't give up hope in the Lord. You realize that although you don't have the answers, who does? He has the answers, right? I don't know what the future holds, but what? I know who holds the future. Persecuted. Okay, so if you stand up for Jesus these days in particular, I mean, and I'm talking about the biblical Jesus, not the reinvented Jesus, then, you know, there are going to be people that are kind of going to come up against you. But remember, when the first disciples, the apostles, were beaten uh, as the result of their faith, they considered it an honor to suffer for the name of the Lord. So that's what Jesus said, right? Blessed are you, those of those who are persecuted, right? For the Lord will honor them. They, you know, they they are they are children of the of the kingdom. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. God hasn't given up on you just because the world is against you. We're struck down. That's even more severe. Okay. This isn't just enduring pain. This is struck down all the way to the ground, but we're not destroyed. So again, the Apostle Paul, at one point, uh, I want to say it was in Iconium, he was stoned by the people. They initially um, considered him a god. And when he tore his clothes and said, no, I'm not a god. I'm a person just like you. Then they turned against him and stoned him. He's like, if you're not going to be what we want you to be, then we're just going to kill you. 
And they thought they'd killed him. They had struck him down to the ground and they all walked away. And then the Apostle Paul, bloodied by rocks that had been thrown at him, stood up and continued on, not destroyed, even if you were persecuted to the point of martyrdom. And I pray that does not happen to any of us. But even if you were, you're not destroyed. You're not going to perish. You're not going to spend eternity apart from God. You will go into the presence of God. Okay? Persecuted but not abandoned. God is not going to um, reject you or turn away from you. Struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So the Apostle Paul has this theology that I don't think is, is taught enough um, where he says that knowing this, that we are crucified with Christ. We identify with the crucifixion of Christ, all right? Knowing this, we acknowledge this, that we're crucified with Christ. If we're crucified with Christ, we are raised with Christ, okay? Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ so that no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. So that no longer do I live. I, I, has been crucified. No longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. Then he says, the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the way we live. We don't live for ourselves. We realize that we, if we are in Christ, we have been crucified with Christ, we have been buried with Christ, and we have been raised with Christ to a new life. Knowing this, that the old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we might no longer be slaves to sin. That's Romans 6, 6. This is a, this is a theology that the Apostle Paul teaches consistently, and I don't hear in the church, okay? Um, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, it says um, um, that we have died with him and that uh, our life is now hidden hidden with Christ in God. It's a different way of thinking, okay? I have to mentally acknowledge, right? Reckon, account that I have died with Christ when I've come to know him and I have been raised with Christ and I have a new life. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Well, if that's my real life, then why am I seeking life in all of these false things down here? I shouldn't be, right? So when I live that kind of life, I'm a really different sort of person. And as the result, people are going to say, uh, I don't know. You're kind of weird. You know, maybe they'll think, uh, you're just too religious, right? You're just strange. You're not like us. But in the end, that's what we need to be. We need to be unlike the world so that the world wants to become more like Jesus, okay? So we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
So whenever I'm tempted, whenever I'm tested, whenever I'm tried, I realize that like Christ, I'm dead to that. So, you know, what, what's your, I'm not asking you to answer out loud. Well, what's your greatest temptation? Is it doubt, fear, lust, anger? See, the reality is if I'm in Christ, I can authentically say, I know I feel that. I know I feel angry. I know I feel anxious. I I know that I feel desirous towards something that the Bible says is wrong. But that is not me. You can really say that. If you are in Christ, your identity is not found down here. There's a song. Uh, there's this artist. I think his name is, his first name is Chris. I want to say his last name is Cleveland. Um, the band that he is in is called Stars Go Dim. It was originally a pop band, um, but he's a believer and he's led worship in churches and so forth. And so he just really turned his music toward worshiping the Lord. But he has a song and the title I will give you will keep me from singing it to you so you won't run out the back door or turn the stream off. Um, But the title is, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I'm not who all these people say I am. I'm not who my kids say I am. They may be accurate or they may be inaccurate. I'm not who my friends say I am. I'm not who my enemies say I am. I'm not who, you know, the world says I am. I am who you say I am. Well, who does God say you are? If you're in Christ, he says you are like his son, Jesus. That's how he sees you. That's how you're going to get into heaven, friend. You're not getting in on your good works. Neither you nor I have enough good works to get in. But I am who you say I am, right? I identify myself with Christ. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's Colossians chapter 3. Here, that's this right here. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus. When you are tempted, whatever you're tempted to do or say or be, if it's outside of Jesus, you just say, that is not me. And you will be right. I am not fearful. I am not angry. I am not lustful. I am not, not, not these things. I am who you say I am. That's important. That will give you clarity. That will give you harmony. That will give you peace. That will bring you sanity, right? For we who are alive, that's we're alive in Christ, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Well, that's going to happen. As you go through this world, you're going to die a thousand deaths, right? Because there are just so many things that you think you want that the world says that you need and so forth. And it's not just a matter of saying, well, no, but you really want it. It's a matter of actually dying to that mentally, if you will. 
so that in order that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Listen, everything that happens down here happens in your body. It happens in your brain. Okay, we can be spiritual beings, no question. But it all manifests itself in this physical body. That's why Romans 12.1 says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. It's offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. You, as long as you live down here, unless you, you know, end up in a coma, you have control over your body. You pick it up and you move it wherever you're going to move it, right? You're here tonight. You're watching tonight. You decided to do that. You put your attention on this. You physically showed up here, okay? You're doing something with your body. It's not just a matter of, well, the Lord knows what I feel. Yes, he does. But if you don't do anything about it, it's irrelevant, isn't it? Pick your body up and move it somewhere and do something about it, right? So we look at our body as this living sacrifice to the Lord, for we are alive, we who are alive, alive in Christ, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life also may be revealed in our mortal body. Then he says, So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So what he was saying was that the apostles were going through far more difficulty, far uh, greater challenges than the members of the church at Corinth. And he said, what we're going through is so that you can experience life, all right? So, you know, even I as a pastor, we're, we're not in on the same plane as these apostles were who were first introducing the gospel um, to people in a world that was hostile. Now, our world, as I mention all the time, is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel. There's no question, okay? But on the whole, the likelihood is if you share the gospel, your life is not going to be threatened. Somebody may just shrug their shoulders and turn the other way or ignore you, make you feel bad, reject you, whatever, right? Or kind of nod their head and go along and then try to change the subject. But that's nothing like the Apostle Paul and these other uh, first century apostles were dealing with. Now, you know, it may get that way. I hope it doesn't, but it could get that way. It is that way in certain other countries. Um, either today or yesterday, uh, I have a friend. In fact, he leads a church here. Uh, we let them use our building on Sunday evenings. And uh, he is Nigerian. And Apparently, I think it was yesterday, was Nigerian Independence Day. There are a lot of Christians in Nigeria, but there's also a lot of persecution in Nigeria. All right? Um, there are people being taken captive in Nigeria for their faith. So, you know, these sorts of things are still going on today. This is not just first century and for the longest time, you know, we would give thanks in this country for the freedom to worship and all these sorts of things. And we still have it to a degree. But you and I need to realize that the world is mounting up and turning away from Christ. 
And so we're going to have to have to have this same attitude that these apostles had. He says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So they were going through these challenging, difficult circumstances as a sacrifice for these people so that they could have the freedom to worship. Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Okay, so that is Psalm 116. I believed, therefore I spoke. Now, in the context of that psalm, it was the psalmist crying out to God about his difficulty. If you believe, then you act on it. If you believe, then you do something about it. If you believe, then you speak about it. You don't just hide it in your heart. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So I hope that's what you do. I hope you speak your faith. Whatever people may think about that, however their response. Um, I mean, I always try to, you know, speak faith uh, on social media. Um, I'm on Twitter, but there's really nobody following me on Twitter effectively. Like, I don't know. Are any of you on Twitter? Right. Elon Musk just is fixing to buy Twitter, so it may end up being a more um, free speech social media outlet. But you're probably on Facebook. Are you on Facebook? Yes. Most of you are on Facebook. Okay. So I'm on Facebook. So I post scripture on Facebook all the time. I try to represent the Lord on Facebook all the time. But, you know, um, it's like uh, YouTube. We're on YouTube right now. If you look at the number of views that you know, a church service like ours gets or a Bible study like this gets versus the number of views that, you know, a teenage boy who is putting on makeup gets. Like literally, they're, I'm not kidding. There are boys that put makeup on and they have millions of views. Now, I'm not saying this to be judgmental, although I, I mean, not a fan of makeup one way or the other, um, but it's obvious that our world is really kind of confused, right, as to what's valuable, what's important, okay? And I'm, I'm watching our kids as they grow older and become teenagers, and they, they, they are influenced by that world. We can't go that direction. We have to continue to represent Jesus. We have to believe, and therefore we speak what we believe. And then we've got to love people. We've got to back that up with the love of Christ and show that regardless of what the world says or what the world does or the direction the world takes, that we're going to continue to hold to Christ. We're going to continue to love people. And I can agree to disagree. Okay? I can say, no, I, I don't agree with you, but I still love you. Right? Um, I have people in my life right now. I have people that were once very close to me in my life right now, who I love very much, who are, they don't want to have anything to do with me. Okay. And, you know, I don't want to disparage anyone or um, disgrace anyone or anything like that. I'm just simply saying, uh, I'm saying this about me because it is perhaps something you're going through as well. If you represent Jesus, when people decide they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, they may not want to have too much to do with you either. Or they may hold you at arm's length. 
and you just don't have the kind of relationship you once had. But in the end, you need the Lord's opinion of you to be favorable, not your friend's or former friend's opinion to be favorable of you, right? All right. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because, this is verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So that's the end game. The end game is not anything down here on earth, right? As those of us who are enduring health challenges well know, this body and this life is passing away. But this is not all there is. Amen? There's more. There's better. As I tell people all the time, I mean, you know, we've gone through difficulty. We'll go through more difficulty. Gas prices apparently are going to go back up again. It would seem that uh, OPEC is now aligning with Russia, which is ridiculous nonsense, right? And so they're going to cut production. And since our current administration and party in power wants to eliminate fossil fuels. Well, in the long run, we need to eliminate fossil fuels. They're temporary. But trying to cut them off right away is foolishness because it's cutting them off is cutting into your ability to live your life, right? So gas prices have gone down. That's great. They're going back up because when they cut production, demand is still high and the prices are going to go back up. How can we live this way? Well, it's all going away. We just need to realize we can't put our hope in anything down here. We've got to trust the Lord and we've got to realize that this body and this life is ultimately passing away. Fossil fuels are going to go away. You know, you can do renewable energy. That's great. But there are challenges there as well. This is all this is passing away. It's all subject to the law of entropy, right? Um, that's the second law of thermodynamics. It's an ironclad law that says all matter is proceeding toward chaos and all energy is proceeding toward death, right? Which is its lowest possible state. The best way to illustrate this is if we look at Israel, okay? You've heard of the Jordan River, right? So in the far north in Israel is Mount Hermon. The snows melt from the top of Mount Hermon and they travel down and they end up in the Jordan River. Okay. They come to the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee has water that passes in and water that passes out. It's fresh. It has fish. It's beautiful, right? Jesus started his ministry there. But the Jordan River flows further and further and further down, 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 lower and lower and lower until it reaches what we call the Dead Sea, which is actually below sea level. The water does not leave the Dead Sea. It all goes into the Dead Sea and just stops. Nothing grows there. It's, it's very, very rich in minerals, but nothing grows there. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Because all energy proceeds to its lowest possible state. That's in the natural. 
That's the world. That's why we need a resurrection, right? That's, that's your body. That's, you know, all of us. That's why we need the hope of resurrection. We need the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the, that hope is what he offers, right? At, we know that the one who raised the Lord from Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope of the hope of eternal life is not floating around as a ghost somewhere in the clouds playing harps. Think about the healthiest you've ever been in your life. When you were young and vital and healthy and woo! Now, put an exponent on that and consider that's what you will be like for eternity in a resurrected body. I think that's pretty good news, don't you? Not some weird, ghostly, you know, otherworldly existence no, we will exist in a new heaven and a new earth in a resurrected body. That's the hope of eternal life. That's the resurrection hope that the apostle Paul preached. And that's why he's saying the suffering now is worth it because this is not the end. Okay? This ain't heaven. This is a fallen world. But we're going to go through this and it is a purgatorial, a perfecting experience. I like to tell people this is boot camp for eternity, right? So, you know, I thought I was going to join the military at one point in time when I was younger. My, uh, my stepdad was in the Air Force. I always thought I wanted to fly and do all of that. But I didn't end up doing that. I didn't end up going through boot camp. But talk to those that have been through boot camp. It's a really, really difficult experience. But on the other side of boot camp, they go from being a civilian to being a soldier. Guess what? We go through this. If, if we make it to the other side with faith, then we go through this and we become fit for the kingdom of God. Verse 15 and the last for tonight. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So whatever you're going through, whatever you've gone through, whatever challenges you're dealing with, God has a purpose for it. That doesn't mean he's causing it. That doesn't mean he brought it upon you. It doesn't mean he didn't either. But the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, that those whom the Lord receives as children, he disciplines. It says, endure hardship as discipline. So whatever physiological, emotional, relational, psychological, financial challenges you're going through, come out on the other side in faith and you will find that God is making you more like Jesus. That's what this is all about. Amen? All right. For those of you that are here, I gave you a little Bible study uh, that you can use. You can go home, answer those questions uh, yourself. And I think that's another way of looking at this, uh, at this study that we looked at tonight. All right? All right. God bless you. Thank you guys for joining us.